And now, coming to you live from our coast-to-coast trading desk, this is The Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast recorded in front of a live Discord audience here from Moby.co. As always, my name is Peter Starr. I'm your host today, bringing you this time a really, you know, jam-packed show. There's a lot of, you know, uh, small minutiae going on around, like, a very hot market right now as as the market continues to digest the ongoing situation in Ukraine. Our hearts go out to the brave people defending Ukraine from Russian aggression. At the same time, our hearts go out to people in Russia who are demanding that, like, their leaders, you know, stop doing that. Power to that. That's really awesome. This is not a war podcast or anything. We're not going to, you know, talk too much about the Ukraine situation. We're going to be talking about the sort of ripple effects we're seeing in our economy based off of that. We're talking about oil prices, talking about uh, small, interesting things in the aerospace industry, thanks to this schism between the U.S. and Russia now as well, how crypto's reacting to it, and then a lot of little things on the back end. A lot of, like, the market news is getting drowned out by this larger situation, as it should. We're talking about the small stuff here today, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to get into some really interesting stuff here. To discuss that with me, though, audience, as always, I'm joined by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Bobby.co. Justin, it's always a blast having you on here. What's going on, man? How's life over on the East Coast going? Uh, Not bad in New York right now, so (laughs) definitely a little uh, fearful since this is uh, quite the place to be in the middle of potentially the start of World War III. (laughs) Um, But other than that, uh, can't complain. Weather's been nice. The market's been crazy. Um, It's never been so upsetting being right before. We've been calling for this to happen for a while now, and it's been happening with all the craziness in Q1 so far, but... It doesn't make it any easier knowing it was coming. I mean, everything's down minus oil, and so it's just, it's madness. Yeah, your classic correction, especially, but it's one of those things where it's really wild considering that a lot of the leading indicators that led up to the air quotes COVID recession, um, you know, uh, weren't really there for like a classic recession. So we're just really in unprecedented territory in the market. There's just so much heat, so much energy and so much money sloshing around that it's really hard to understand how all these inflationary pressures are going to shake out. So let's just start, Justin, with the clearest signal we have, which is uh, yesterday oil prices topped at $116. They've calmed down a little bit. We're more at 107 now. But as a staggering rise when you consider like just where oil has been for the past sort of six months to a year and especially when you think back to 2021 if oil prices were effectively zero when supply was just completely out of whack so what's going on with energy i understand why energy prices are so high we're going to have a huge energy crunch thanks to this war in europe but kind of take me through this justin like how can we think about the rest of the market how's this going to reverberate throughout the market i'm looking at really high oil prices right now obviously you know gas is going to be more expensive but like what are some other things we can think about as energy prices sort of crank up thank god the winter almost over here in America at the very least. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, unfortunately, it's something we're going to have to be like super conscious of. Um, inflation and supply chain issues have been causing the price of energy and just the price of pretty much everything to go up for the last you know several months at the very least, um, pretty much the most of the 2021 as well. Um, so when Putin decides that he wants to launch an invasion on Russia, further like capping the supply of oil just generally because Russia is a major oil exporter. Um, it obviously is going to to pump prices up, to your point. Um, and I mean, not that I have any insight and nor does anyone minus like people high up in the government have insight on what's going to happen with this situation over in the Ukraine. But for the time being, it's going to continue to push energy prices up. Um, we're actually working on as we speak. Um, some indicators internally that we've been analyzing from like uh, a quantitative perspective, how energy prices react now um, to this market condition versus how they've reacted over the last 30 years. 
Um, and so we're putting together a list of indicators that aren't just for energy prices, but are for pretty much for every single sector. Um, we'll be releasing those hopefully pretty soon. Um, and basically the output of that for energy specifically is that we think energy is starting to move into like a new regime. And so when you think about different market conditions, like we're pretty much classifying it across five different spectrums. Um, and right now we think it's kind of around the mean. So what that means is if energy prices are going up, you know, 10% a year right now with like inflation, um, it should continue to pace with inflation, but we think it's going to start peaking and reversing the other way soon based on a lot of the technical indicators um, and quantitative based indicators we've built so far. So it's a long-winded way of saying, you know, whatever's going on in Russia, it's impossible to predict. Um, but just from a pure inflation standpoint um, and how we feel about energy prices in general, um, it should, we would think it would be approaching a, a peak relatively soon. And then overall inflation, obviously, we're thinking about, you know, uh, Jerome Powell, you know, came out yesterday and basically said, yeah, sorry, I should have raised rates sooner there, boys, my bad. Um, but we're looking at at some point this month, at least a 0.25% rate increase. And like analysts are kind of looking at like analyzing the tea leaves from Powell's conference and saying, OK, we're looking at probably like a total of like three or four rate increases totaling out at about 1%. Um, that's obviously going to cool things off here in America a little bit. Is that going to have any of when we when we think about that like obviously that's going to be the sort of key to make us hit peak inflation but with things like energy prices spiking and especially the price of food too since roughly 10 percent of the world's wheat is made between russia and ukraine and that's all kind of tied up right now um do you see any other inflationary pressures coming out that could potentially push back the uh peak of inflation that we're kind of watching in the data here or are the sort of larger factors that have been driving inflation the supply chain issues all of that stuff since that's really starting to become mitigated and become fixed it's not as big of a deal if you understand I ask you kind of like a multi-pronged question there. <laughs> yeah, let's let's peel back the layers. Let's uh, address one question by one. So let's. Uh, where do you want to start there? So I guess I guess main thing then is uh, first and foremost, do you think um, do you see like uh, the increase in food prices coming out of this as well? Will that sort of increase inflationary pressure, or is that irrelevant right now? So we're like kind of in a weird environment right now because you have the Fed on to your exactly your point on one set hand saying we should have raised rates earlier. We're going to raise rates. I mean, it's not a certainty at this point, but it's looking pretty much like a, a certainty that they're going to raise rates bearing any unforeseen circumstances. So that should directly impact inflation. But on the other hand, you have now with Russia and the rest of the world going into potentially some sort of <laughs> World War Three doomsday type scenario, more short term. Um, like supply chain issues with wheat, with food prices. So it really, the answer really depends on how long this drags out for. If this is somehow, you know, there's peace found in the next several weeks, um, you pair that with rises in rates, you know, in theory, this should continue to, to go down and inflation shouldn't be an issue for food prices, um, you know, by this time time next year. Um, but if the war continues to get dragged out, or even if it doesn't get dragged out, but there's just severe tension now going forward with Russia and the rest of the world, and people don't want to work with them from an economic perspective, um, as such large imp uh, exporters of wheat and other pr like products, it's inevitably just going to cause like a more constraint. I mean, ultimately, we'll, we'll fix it, but it definitely does not help the inflation problem. So Ultimately, I think the U.S., the market here is so indicative of inflation overall that rises in rates and a overall just like net uh, lowering of fiscal stimulus by the, the Fed should reverse it. Um, but like Russia is a major world player. And when no one wants to play with them anymore, there's there's going to be some implications. So 
it really just depends on on how long this gets dragged out for. Hopefully, you know, outside of the economic reasons, hopefully just from a pure humanitarian perspective, it's it's over soon. Exactly. And that's one thing we're really hoping for, too. It's one of those things where this is one of those situations where clearly Putin expected a, you know, 15 day in and out kind of replace the regime type situation. But we're seeing, you know, the, the degree to which Ukraine is able to defend itself is absolutely incredible. So it's one of those things where either we will get peace really quickly in terms of talks, like it's just one of those things where like uh, um, uh, the, Russia just, you know, admits embarrassment and then pulls back. Or it's one of those things where it can be it, this could drag out for years too like it's really really hard to tell at this point and so audience when you're thinking about this as an investor and you're thinking about this in terms of like analyzing and understanding how the market works it's good to look at sort of the macro wins like this but then understand that this gigantic situation is made up of a like a ridiculous amount a huge collection of small tragedies and so as you as as somebody who thinks about this in terms of their portfolio it's really important to take the broad information and then drill down into various sectors and see how they're playing out and so for me the quick news i want to i want to point out is the news that came out this morning wherein Russia has announced that they are going to completely stop selling the United States rocket engines, which sounds kind of silly and petty, like it's like, why is why is Russia being mean to NASA? But actually what's happening is, is that Russia is trying is is hurting uh, ULA, which means it's hurting Boeing and Lockheed Martin and potentially helping Rocket Lab. And so those are two, you know, picks we've made throughout sort of like the aerospace sector. And so it's really important to see exactly what the game is there, audience. And so uh, when we think about how um, how this is going to play out, Lockheed Martin really relies on something called the RS-25 engine, which is uh, one of the best rocket engines ever built. The Soviet Union wasn't good at a lot of things, but Jesus Christ, they can make a solid, reliable rocket engine. Um, they have a surplus of them. The United Launch Alliance, which is jointly owned by Lockheed and Boeing, has been buying them up for years to power the Antares 5 rocket. ULA has been trying to build a new new rocket to go away from de being dependent on Russia, and that is depending entirely on an engine being built by Jeff Bezos over at Blue Origin, which has not been working out well. Um, so we're seeing a kind of a big hole forming in aerospace, which is, it's a great time to be a rocket lab investor. The stock price isn't reflecting this right now. The stock price is frankly just reflecting the whole market being bad, uh, but it, it's one of those things where Lockheed will will be fine. But it's really great to be somebody who's about to get into the medium launch space, which is what Antares Five was servicing until literally today. Um, and it's also just another one of those days where I really wish SpaceX was a publicly traded company because we're setting up for basically Elon World at this point, as the major launch system for the whole world now is kind of resting on the Falcon Nine and the soon-to-be Neutron rocket from Rocket Lab, as well as a couple of other medium launch providers. If Astra can figure their life out but audience i just wanted to point that out very quickly just so you see like there's going to be a lot of these micro things that are going to be hard to keep up with like that's such ridiculous nerd stuff but it does affect some of the positions that we've called out in the past and it's really important to take those headwinds those tailwinds whatever forces you see and try to apply them to the micro level on an investment by investment perspective as well but just to bring you back into this get the nerd zone out of the way let's get back into actually talking about other like larger forces and one big line this week was sort of the tension between the nasdaq and Bitcoin and then the crypto industry overall. Over the last six months, with all this institutional money coming into crypto, we've seen Bitcoin and the Nasdaq pretty much line up with each other. Bitcoin makes bigger moves, but if you kind of average out the noise, Bitcoin and Nasdaq have been moving together for the past like two years as more and more institutional money moves in. It's just how the market works. But then the last two weeks, we've seen the Nasdaq tank and Bitcoin go on a kind of a wild run off of news that, you know, maybe <laughs> Russia could use Bitcoin to get past sanctions. That bull run appears to be over right now. 
Um, so Justin, just like looking at the sort of the crypto price charts and thinking about how crypto is matching the uh, industry right now, what are your view? What are your views on Bitcoin and crypto, like in terms of how they've been are interacting with this crisis? There, have there been any interesting patterns you've seen? Have there been any things that you're thinking about in terms of price, or is it just one of those kind of wait and see moments? Yeah, I mean it's interesting because like historically bitcoin has moved with the markets the market goes up bitcoin goes up and vice versa it's a, like a risk on asset um but over the weekend i think is when it started um you saw bitcoin start to scale upwards when the markets have been on a slide pretty much ever since um and it looks like a large reason that happened was because of what's going on with the swift network um don't need to get into like the details on like what that really is as it's I mean, it's important, but it's also like kind of boring. It's like the, the details of how money transfers around the world. But it's essentially the SWIFT payment system is just a system that allows banks basically across the globe to securely like communicate with each other and ultimately like handle cross-border payments. Um, so with Russia not being allowed to do that, that automatically makes the ability to transact either with Russian people the Russian government, or just getting money in and out of Russia or within Russia, extremely difficult. Um, so obviously, a natural, you know, place that money would flood to would be Bitcoin and crypto in general, given the the ease of transferability and and all those things that come with it. And so, once they banned it, once Swift was banned from the country, we saw Bitcoin go in, you know, the range that's been in the the mid to low 30s over the last few months, just shoot up almost like overnight really um, into like this now low to mid forties range. And so it's right now stuck around 42, 43. Um, it'll be interesting to see if it breaks through the resistance level um, or ultimately falls back down. Um, but I mean, it's kind of a huge talent right there. So crypto in general, like was likely going to move with the stock market and it probably will. Um, this, this could still be a short-term blip, but it's definitely super helpful. So. You know, I, I think the what you want to take away from my message right there is that this could be a good short term headwind. And we'll see if this actually starts scaling adoption in like more modernized, westernized cultures. Um, but at the end of the day, like over the longer term, if stocks continue to plummet for the rest of the year, like crypto is going to have some serious headwinds facing it. Exactly. And this is one of those things like 2022 just keeps bringing the hits. 2020 was all about one big, huge hit that lasted for a whole year. 2022 is all about let's just keep like the, the medium sized hits just consistently spread out across a whole year. This is one of those things where you have to recognize audience that the market is made entirely out of human sentiment. And as people sort of like lose confidence and see, you know, the mayhem of these kinds of pressures, we're going to see people like, you know, take their money away from things like these, these growth assets, these tech assets, as they're going to get hit by more and more supply chain issues and more into like bonds, more safer stuff. A lot of people buying more gold. That's pretty classic. And so it's really important to keep that in mind. Like your job as a long-term investor is to see if you can't play something long-term like this, but try to make sure you don't get distracted as we, we were heading into, you know, a pretty big hit year. And so the main thing that we're watching and the thing that's going to be kind of decoupled from this Ukraine news is the, the final moment sometime in the next 30 days where the Fed full-on raises, raises rates 0.25% and watching the market to see how they react to that. Obviously, it would have been pretty cool if we raised rates and did a little bit of tapering before uh, Europe lit on fire. But hey, 
we are where we are right now. And so it's really interesting just seeing how the chessboard is moving in terms of how the market can handle what is ultimately a really just we're we're not boxed into a corner or anything, but we're in a very interesting spot as a whole economy right now. And so it's really important to sort of think about these things logically and find these small moves you can make that that win really well, which is why we've been really diving deep into these quant strategies audience we've been really excited to like bring you sort of like this more data modeling this this better perspective as we think about this and so that's the major research we had this week was our mobi offshore opportunities portfolio and so justin just kind of take me through this like if we can't find growth within sort of like established markets let's look at sort of the more emerging market space take me through sort of like the analysis we did and sort of how we're building the model here and how the portfolio is going to evolve over time yeah, so with that, I mean, we, we released three portfolios, and so they're all designed, um, and I think we talked about this last week very briefly, but basically these three portfolios are designed um, to not necessarily be tracking stocks in a fundamental perspective, like the way that like you and I would typically analyze portfolios, um, but to let the computers more or less run through like mount, literally mountains of data and figure out stocks that should be included in the portfolio. Um, it's... It's something maybe not everyone's heard of, but it's something that everyone's doing. And so what I mean by that is maybe retail investors have never heard of it, but you better believe that all the hedge funds in the world are using this. And this is like really one of the only methods um, that allows people to like outperform over time. It's it's tough to do it without this. There, we and they are basically taking massive data sets and letting computers dig through mountains of data that would take a human team, a whole team of people, an entire lifetime to dig through that they can do through like pretty seamlessly. Um, and so what we get with that is we get an output and portfolios that are geared towards different goals. And so we've, we've set three different goals. And the, the one that you're alluding to is the most recent goal, which is finding opportunities offshore. Um, and we give a quick example in it. But basically, if you're going after like Apple, there's only so much information from an advantage standpoint that you could ever have over somebody else. Everyone has the same financial information. Everyone's paying attention to product launches. You know, what I know about Apple, even as like the best Apple analyst in the world is, is still going to pale in comparison, um, like relative to the upside you can get if you're an expert in an unknown market. So if I know a random company in China that no one's ever heard of or a random company in Brazil, you have real advantage there to like make a killing. And so that's where markets are not efficiently priced and that's where stocks are undervalued. And so what the algorithm is doing in our strategy is picking stocks in emerging markets that are undiscovered opportunities that maybe you or I with the human eye can never spot, but like our computers are reading all this data and statistics and saying, hey, these are actually really good opportunities that are undiscovered. So that's literally the entire purpose of that most recent fund we did, which is this offshore opportunities fund. Um, it's going to try and seek annual returns over 20%, which if you're a newer investor is like pretty ridiculous. Um, there is obviously a decent amount of risk here, um, but this is very differentiated. We think you can't really get this anywhere else. Um, and so we're really excited to kind of roll this out. We've been working on this for months now. Exactly. And uh, audience who are listening to this on a recorded, uh, on like a, on our actually podcast app, that kind of weight is, um, it's it's five stocks looking at Petro Company, Petro China Company Limited, that's a weight of 21%, Vale SA, 21% as well, Eco Petrol SA, which is also which is just 20%, KB Financial Group, which is 20%, and then Silicon Motion Technology Corporation, which is going to be 18%. So we really dial in those percents to a very precise level. So it's one of those things where you can just kind of buy those evenly, but keep in mind the weight should be a little bit more on Petro China 
and a lot less on uh, uh, silicon motion technology. Keep that in mind as we move forward, audience. Again, we're trying to find these little opportunities as we think about all the different ways that we can think long term. Uh, the, the people I feel, you know, uh, within our audience, the people I feel the worst for are the ones who, you know, got bored in March of 2020 and finally decided, okay, this is the year. This is it. I'm going to buy this dip. I'm going to finally learn how to invest. And the ridiculous bull run that happened from April to about, I don't know, July of April 2020 to July of 2021 will give anybody completely outsized expectations for how the market should perform. It was a truly ludicrous period of uh, value destruction and value recreation in, in, in any economic period. It's one of those things where people are going to be writing textbooks about just how fast things moved from about March 2020 to about October 2021. I'll never, like, I'm, gl I'm glad at the very least that there is some sense of normalcy in how things are moving right now compared to the positive mayhem that was 2020 but it's one of those things audience where i want you to make sure that you're you know finding these, these small opportunities and so that kind of brings us to the only other research report we had this week which was snap and i want to give you a little bit more view into that as we sort of think about like all the different ways we can find growth opportunities that you know in the short term are going to kind of you know follow volatility but as we sort of like stabilize as you know the ukraine re situation hopefully reaches a quick resolution at least on like a month time scale as opposed to a year time scale we need to find things that are actually growing in our economy. And the surprising story has been Snap, honestly, for me. Uh, Snap um, obviously was going to be the king of social media back in 2014. They completely destroyed Facebook's growth trajectory until Facebook discovered this brilliant uh, business strategy, which is called stealing, right? Uh, Facebook stole Snapchat's core functionality, i.e. stories, put it in Instagram, and then Snapchat could never really recover from that. It's one of those things where, like, it's uh, it doesn't really count as stealing. It's more like copying right and so when you look at when you look at that it's been amazing watching snap rebound from that obviously they have taken the same tech hit everyone else has but the fact that they responded in a much more mature way than meta did when apple came out and basically smashed their stock value uh, by saying hey uh, uh, you guys can't have revenue anymore snap has responded in a much better way giving advertising partners a much better case forward which is led to Snap having its first profitable quarter. They're also set to basically be the player in the actual hardware that's going to make the metaverse with their Spectacles technology, as well as a couple of other really strategic, interesting e-commerce and visual data, um, what is it called? Uh, acquisitions, that's the word I wanted. And so it's just really exciting to see that there is growth happening right now. It's really hard to find those moments of growth, obviously, when the only, th like, your, all of your social media, all of the news is just doom scrolling our way through this absolutely ridiculous, awful, stupid, mind-bogglingly wrong-headed invasion of Ukraine, but it's just nice finding those growth moments. Justin, anything to add there in terms of thinking about sort of like Snap's long-term growth potentials or anything, any other sort of like social macro headwinds we should think about as we, you know, add, add potentially add a Snap position to our portfolio? Right, the Snap is in an interesting position because they've invested so heavily in AR and VR over the last several years. And although it's like taken a while to pan out, they're definitely like have become an industry leader and have differentiated themselves there instead of just becoming another social network. Um, and so they are starting to see, especially with like the rise of their first party data, a lot more advertiser coming to the interest, coming to the platform where Facebook has always relied on like cross site and third party attribution. Um, so Snapchat, like for the first time in a long time becomes a really viable like option to Facebook. At the end of the day, like Facebook and Google are will and continue to spend or command most of the ad spend on the open internet. But Snapchat is is really going to start making a push for capturing ad spend and finding other ways to monetize themselves. Um, this is definitely a, a little bit of a high riskier pick, but the, f the first sign of them like 
you know, taking out, <laughs> taking out Facebook or, uh, is kind of starting to, sh to show itself. And if they don't take them out, like just become like a serious competitor, the younger generation is on there. They're going to continue scaling out their usership growth. It's, it's a pretty exciting kind of turnaround story here, honestly. Here's my hot take. Here's my completely insane scenario. <laughs> meta is going yeah, to yeah. not, there's going to be no product growth on the meta side in terms of getting people to join their metaverse. And that stock price is going to continue to crumble over the next, I'm going to say three years. Snap at the same time is going to be ascendant because they really just get the spirit of social media way more than Facebook does. People actually want to be on Snapchat. You talk to people from Gen Z, like they consume TikTok, but they post on Snapchat, right? Um, so that's something really, it's something really interesting for me. And so Here's my absolute hottest of hot takes, the dumbest dumb guy thing I could say. Uh, back in 2011, Facebook tried to buy Snapchat for $3 billion. It's going to be the other way around. Meta's stock price is going to continue to tank. Snapchat's going to acquire Meta, and they're going to be this big... The metaverse will happen, but Snapchat will be in charge of it. That's absolutely not going to happen. That's my insane hot take. I just wanted to show you sort of like how the winds are moving here and just how wildly this can shift. In reality, obviously, Meta, you know, is a very big company with a huge amount of cash. They're going to figure out something for the metaverse and something business-wise, but people are going to actually want to be a part of whatever it is that Snap is creating, and so I'm very excited for that. Either way, audience, what I've loved is managing to actually address all of our questions. All of you managed to ask me questions about sort of like rockets and uh, coal prices and oil prices as well as Snap, so I'm really glad that I got all of that. If you have any other questions for us moving forward, obviously we're right here at the very end of our time. We try to keep a tight 30 here. You can always message us here directly on Discord. You can just at me. I'm at MobyStar here on Discord. If you're listening to a recording, you can obviously just always just hit us up at hello at Moby.com or reach, reach out to us on various social channels. I think our DMs are open on Twitter because we're just irresponsible like that. Um, but it's one of those things where just feel free to hit us up, ladies and gentlemen. We want to make sure that we are tailoring these conversations to your needs. We want to make sure that we're giving you the information you need. Because as I said, this is a gigantic you know, very confusing situation for our market that is made up of a bunch of really small, ultimately petty and stupid things. That's the thing we have to keep in mind is that there is no material reason for this invasion. Uh, it, it, it absolutely boggles the mind. Like, we still can't understand why it is happening, especially with Belarus joining in as well, which is just earth-shatteringly cruel and wrong-headed in terms of, like, just when you're thinking about statecraft and world strategy. Not to get into that too much, but Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder here at Moby.co. Again, I'm just, I just really appreciate having your perspective as we sift through these details and try to, you know, suss out how the market is going to respond to these huge world events that just keep happening and happening and happening and happening in the last three years. Uh, any final thoughts for us, man? Again, it's been a really wild ride with you as always. The only thing that I'll leave everyone with is that the stuff in the Ukraine is just, is awful. I mean, I'm just outside of the investment, like, um, like implications, economic implications, like, you know, with with all these innocent lives being lost and then all the people who are affected by the people that they know. I mean, when you start ex extending out each person that's lost in this horrific war um, and then they probably know 100 people who are deeply affected, all of a sudden, like, even though someone is not dying on a body count, like the amount of people affected starts being in the hundreds of thousands and, and amplifying really quickly. And so... Yeah, we're just we're really just praying for the for the safe kind of end uh, of everything over there. It's uh, it's a tragic situation. And if we can help out at all, um, you know, just just reach out. We'll, we'll try and do whatever we can.
Absolutely. And I love that end too. Just if you, if you know any of any charities or anything that like you, you know, personally resonate with audience, feel free to reach out to us again. You reach out to us here on discord or hello at mobi.co. We want to make sure that we're doing our part to sort of support the people of Ukraine as best as possible. And I obviously we, uh, as a investing YouTube channel slash Instagram concern, we're not going to convince Putin to stop the invasion, but you know, we'll do what we can to mitigate the harm that is currently, you know, hitting the people of Eastern Europe as we speak. Either way, audience, I really appreciate you sticking with us during a somber er uh, episode here as we sort of like examine again the fallout from this ongoing situation. Hopefully next week we're talking about like the path to peace, how the peace talks are working out and, you know, Russia pulling out at the very least. Hopefully it's one of those things where like it really could be a quick situation. There's like a small window for this not to be a month, a several month catastrophe, but it remains to be seen. Either way, audience, hoping for, you know, better news next week as we sort of, you know, have better things to talk about. But I appreciate all of you sticking with us through this conversation as we sit through these details. But that seems like a really great place to end. So just so you know, audience, this podcast was produced, hosted, and voiced by Moby.co. It was hosted by me, Peter Starr, and all the information you got today is from the editorial perspective of our chief analyst, co-founder, and CEO, Justin Kramer. At the same time, audience, if you want to hear more from us, feel free to check us out over on Instagram. Hit us up at Moby.co for, you know, just way more in-depth analysis. Hit us up at YouTube.com slash C slash Invest for more in-depth analysis, more on the multimedia side. But either way, audience, I'm really excited that you stuck with, stay with us till the end here. But for now, as always, I'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Everyone stay safe. Thank you so much.